All right, you guys can take a seat. Um, real quick, I want to give you all an update on the Week of Hope. Um, Drew was wrong because I told him wrong. Um, Thursday night is the Concert of Prayer. And what that is, okay, when we think about Concert of Prayer, when Drew said, let's come pray for an hour, that might not sound super exciting to you guys because you're like, I can barely pray for three minutes. And so that's okay. Um, what that looks like actually is we're going to break off into individual groups inside of our sanctuary, and we're actually going to be praying together over different things. There'll be some worship mixed in and everything like that. We want to invite you guys, come on out and spend some time with us this Thursday night, and the time is actually 6.30, 6.30 this Thursday night. We'll talk about that a little bit more on Wednesday night when you guys are here with us. And then the other thing I wanted to let you know about is the prayer and communion. Um, Drew was right. The time is 12 to 7, but you don't have to come from 12 to 7. That's not how this works. Um, you kind of just show up with your families whenever you want to come, and you're going to walk through this experience. It'll take you about 30 minutes total together. It's really unique because it's an interactive experience where, honestly, it gives us a time to reflect on our lives and to really truly observe what's happening as a family together in our lives and then take communion. I highly recommend coming out this Friday for that. So let's talk today. We're jumping into a brand new series. It's called Forever, okay? When you hear the term forever, what do you think of? <laughs> forever, seriously. I mean, when you think about it. So I Googled it, and as you can see behind me, um, you see that it means for all time, right? Always. Um, when you think about forever, let me ask you, if there was something that you could do forever, what would it be? Anybody got anything in here? Somebody? I want to give you the mic. Anybody? No? No? Actually, I won't even give you the mic. Just yell it out. Sleep. I could sleep forever. That's called death, okay? Just so you know, that's what happens, all right? <laughs> it's your physical body is dead. All right, anything else? Drive. Uh, drive. You could drive forever? Not me. I get bored out of my mind after an hour of driving. So what about uh, Disney Plus? Anybody think they could watch all the Disney Plus? No? No? <laughs> what about eating fried Oreos at the fair? You could just eat fried Oreos forever? Nope, after about two of those, I want to throw up, and I feel absolutely miserable. Well, today what I want to do is I want to dive into this thought of forever and why forever really matters in our life, okay? So I've got this giant bag. You're wondering what this is. It's balloons, okay? It's balloons. Mason, come here. Um, Tony, come here. So I, am, I asked the middle school boys earlier today, I said, hey, can I have a volunteer for this crazy? You're going to stay on the floor. Stay on the floor for me. I asked if um, I could have a volunteer, and Mason gladly accepted, and Tony had no idea, but I figured since you're his dad, you could help him out here. All right, so certain things in our lives as, mid as middle and high school students happen quite often in our lives, and there's some things that realistically, when I think about things I want to do forever, there's a lot of things I know that I don't want to do forever, okay? And when I thought about this a little bit more, one of the top things that I absolutely hate that I've ever tried in my life is juggling. Have you guys ever tried juggling before? I hate juggling. It's the hardest thing ever. So inside this bag, there are going to be 12 balloons. And I'm going to toss 12 balloons out to you guys, and I want you guys to keep them in the air as long as possible. Here's what's going to happen. If you can keep them all up for a minute without dropping one, I will buy your lunch today. All right? You have to stay on the ground. But you have to keep all 12 of these balloons up in the air. Now, here's the thing. You can do it however you want to do it. You can hold them, whatever you think you can do to make it happen. Um, but I prefer that there's always some in the air. So what I did was I kind of started writing things on balloons that I thought were relevant to you guys' age, right? I started thinking about what are some things that cause stress 
in teenagers' lives, okay? So what are things that cause stress in teenagers' lives? So I'm going to get all these out, and we're going to toss them around. We're going to see how you guys do. The first thing we're going to talk about is tryouts, right? Tryouts. You guys are always trying out some, okay? You're going to try out in life for sports. You're going to try out for other teams. You're going to try out for the uh, drama team. And then you got work, right? Like you want to make some money. You got to pay for your car insurance. You just got to make things happen a little bit there, okay? Then we've got, uh, Mason's not quite there yet, but Haley and Landon are definitely there. We got relationships, right? Uh, you got you to gotta watch out. Um, they got some relationships starting to go a little bit. Okay, and then you're trying to juggle social media too, right? Like you got your social media going and you want to think that happened, okay? Then we got chores going, right? And, and it's just, oh. <laughs> and then there's, I don't even know what I just threw out there. I just threw out church events, right? Church events are happening. And Tony, easy buddy. Tony, nice save there. You've got your feelings and, you know, you've got all this stuff. You've got grades. And so, <laughs> you got your school stress. You've got, you know, let's see what else we got. We got, we got sports practices that are happening daily. And then, let's be honest, um, there's a couple more things you guys as teenagers are doing. You, you got friendship drama. And honestly, well, there's family drama that's included too, okay? <laughs> there's no family drama in their house. Okay, guys, thank you. If you will. Put them in the bag for me. Put them back in that bag. All right? Here's the thing. You know, honestly, when it comes to life, when it comes to forever, this isn't something they can keep up forever. Right? There's only 12 balloons, which really, if you break it up, there's only six each that they're trying to juggle and keep in the air. But did you guys see Tony dive across the stage here trying to save that one? I mean, Tony, these lights aren't cheap. I just want you to know that, okay? <laughs> All right, you cleared the lights. I'll take those from you, okay? So we're going to talk about these a little bit later, too, with everything there. But here's the thing, right? Like, like when it comes to our lives, have you guys ever heard the phrase, too many irons in the fire? All right, so typically, here's what that means, okay? It, it, it's something that means that you've got too much going on in your life. All right, you've got a little bit too much that, that maybe you can't juggle everything that's happening in your life, kind of like Tony and Mason right there. Like they're trying, they're trying to keep everything up in the air, and you guys are doing that too, right? Everything I wrote down is something that you're probably dealing with right now. You've got family drama. You've got friendship drama. You've got to think about what you're putting out there on social media. You've got to think about the sports practices and everything that you have going on in your life, and you're trying just to make it through life, and you're just juggling all these things, and then there's other things people want from you, right? You come to church and you hear me talk about hear journals. You hear me talk about praying. You hear all this other stuff and there's already all this fear, anxiety, and stress in your life and it just feels like there's no way possible for you guys to juggle all this, right? And so here's what starts to happen. You start to let that, you try to keep them up. You try to dive and save things. But sometimes some stuff falls to the ground, and sometimes it causes trouble in your life. And sometimes, here's what happens. You start to examine everything that's going on in your life, and you start to wonder, is this all right? Like, I mean, I've got to have families, right? I've got to have my family. I've got to have drama in them. We're going to always have conversations. There's going to be some drama that shows up. I've got friendships going on in my life that... You know, realistically, there's going to be drama with those, but I love my friends. I want to be around them all the time. Then you've got, you know, sports. Well, you know, I'm an athlete, so I want to do these things. I want to get better at it. You've got homework, which unfortunately you have to do for some reason. And, and then 
you start coming to church and you start hearing me preach about God and you start hearing me preach about doing your devotions. And at some point, you guys are at this age right now where you're starting to ask yourself for the first time or kind of in some brand new ways, do I really believe in Jesus or is Christianity just my family's religion? Am I content with casually believing in God or do I truly want to follow after Jesus? And then you start asking, what do I do with all the questions that I have about God? And so I don't want to lie to you guys and tell you I've never been there before because I can remember several times that I felt like I was just drowning in schoolwork and chores and um, work and sports, right? And then there's church. I can remember several times in my life where it felt like uh, chasing after a relationship with God felt more like a chore than it did an actual relationship. And I wasn't in the place where I knew what I truly believed yet. And so what I want to do over the next two weeks is I want to talk about this forever theme. I want to talk about what does it seem like to truly chase after God forever? What does it seem like for us to really know what we believe? To really dive into understanding this a little bit more, right? Because the truth is, is you guys have questions. And you need a safe place to go with your questions. You got to figure out what your questions are. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about the Easter story over the next two weeks. So Drew's actually going to be speaking to you guys next week. I'm going to take this weekend. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what did it look like for the disciples, the first people who were following Jesus, for everything that they were managing in their lives to let it go and follow after Jesus. And we're going to pick this up in John 18 and 19 today, and then Drew's going to wrap it up in John 20. Okay? So here's the thing. Sometimes I think, and I've, I've said this several times, If I could have only lived the same time Jesus did, if I could have only seen him with my own eyes, I wouldn't have a single question or doubt about who Jesus really is, right? I wouldn't have any questions or doubt about who God was. But as we examine scripture, we see that Jesus' followers who saw him every single day still had doubts and questions about him. And yeah, in case you haven't been around church, here's something you might want to know. Jesus did die, right? And and he was betrayed by one of his closest friends. And we're going to talk about that here today. You see, Easter is the holiday that we're going to celebrate next week. And the Easter story is something that, if you don't know it, it's not actually about bunnies and eggs. I mean, I'm sorry to disappoint you. The chocolate's great. But it's actually about Jesus being betrayed and being put up on a cross and dying there and then going into a tomb and raising again on the third day. is completely different. But what I want to do is I want to examine what did it look like for his followers during that time to truly chase after Jesus with their lives. So let's dive into it. In John chapter 18, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn there. You're going to see that I'm going to paraphrase a lot because there's so many verses. But I want us to dive into this and to truly see what it truly looks like, okay? So it starts in John 18, all right? To be fair, it actually started in John 16, all right? We see that Jesus is meeting with all of his disciples. He's having the last dinner with them, and he spends some time with them. And then he goes and he prays in the garden. He says this beautiful prayer written out in John 17. And then in John 18, here's what we see. Jesus is in the garden before the feast known as Passover happens. He's actually praying because he knew what was about to happen. And in his physical body, he just he said, God, if there's any way possible, pass this own for me, but not my will, but what you want to be done. And as soon as he wraps up that prayer to God, here's what happens. 
Judas, he hears and he sees a mob headed his way. Then Judas, one of his closest followers, walks right up to him and kisses him, signaling that he was the one who needed to be arrested. Let's think about that just for a second, okay? Let's put ourselves in the disciples' shoes 2,000 years ago. Let's think way back to that, all right? You're in the garden with Jesus. Judas walks up and he kisses him, and you know something's off because Judas hasn't kissed Jesus, you know, in ever, really. All right, so he goes, he does this. Does Ju- did Judas not trust Jesus when he said who he said he was? Did he believe, but he, did he not care? We don't know. But we know that Judas turned his back on Jesus. And all of a sudden, here's what happens, all right? In this garden, in this, um, this place where Jesus was praying, his disciples were there, the mob moves to arrest Jesus. All right, in this moment, this happens. This mob moves to arrest Jesus. And all of a sudden, one of Jesus' other closest followers, this guy named Peter, pulls out a sword and chops a dude's ear off. Okay, let's just think about this for a second. If you were there, how dramatic do you think things would have been at this point? Do you think the situation would have escalated pretty quickly? Yeah, I would think so. I'm just going to put that out there. Okay, so now let's imagine what's happening in this story right now. All right, Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. Now Peter just chopped a dude's ear off. All right, then Jesus, while starting to be arrested, scoops down, grabs dude's ear, puts it back, and heals him. Absolutely insane. Then he looks at Peter, and he says, put your sword up. Should I, not, should I not drink from the cup that the Father has given me? I'd have questions if I was Peter, right? I mean, Jesus, right now, this is your chance. Call your angels down. You, Peter, and the angels can win this fight. But no, that's not what Jesus does. He was arrested and taken away. And through this, all this stuff happening His disciples, their world, had to start spinning, right? They had to start spinning. Sorry, I had a lot of things I had to catch us up on there. (laughs) So John chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 15 right here. Listen to what it says. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter through the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you are not one of the man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. We're going to skip a few verses and go down to 25. Meanwhile... As Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, No, I'm not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Didn't I see you out there with the olive grove with Jesus? And Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Let's stop right there. Let's think about this just for a second. Jesus Two chapters ago, realistically, last night, had just told Peter, hey, you're actually going to deny me. He said, hey, guys, listen, here's what's going to happen. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed, and I'm going to be put to death. And then Peter says, hey, Jesus, stop talking like that. 
Jesus, don't say those kind of things. Ma'am, I'm with you. I got your back. I will follow you, and I will not let anything happen to you. And then Jesus looks at him and says, no, 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 no. Peter, you don't know what you're saying. Peter, actually, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster cries, before morning comes. And Peter says, no way, Jesus, that won't happen. And then we see the story we just read happen. I mean, think about this. Peter had to be really confused about everything that just happened, right? I mean, all of a sudden, they just went from having the last supper with Jesus. They went to the garden praying with Jesus, keep falling asleep, right? And if you're anything like me, when you're sleeping and you're trying to wake up, like, it's not easy to wake up. So I can understand the disciples why they were trying to struggle to figure out what was happening, right? But then Jesus is arrested and taken away. Remember, this is the guy who you followed for three years. He was taken away. Not only just that, Peter had just chopped the guy's ear off. There had to be some trauma that went with that, right? He had to be wondering, have I been wrong about Jesus this whole time? Had I misunderstood? If Jesus said, was who he said he was, why would God let this happen? Now, as a disciple, can you imagine spending these years with Jesus, living every day in his presence? You'd eat with him. You'd travel with him. You'd hear him teach. You'd watch him do miracles. This is what Peter and the other disciples experienced. And this is why it was so confusing when he was arrested, everyone expected Jesus to be the Messiah, the Savior, the King, to rule all of Israel. But all of a sudden, things had changed. And as we see, if we dive into the scripture here in John 18, we see Jesus going back and forth with government officials over and over again. And the government officials say, we don't find anything wrong with this guy. We should let him go. But then we see the high priest and other Jew officials are not about that. They wanted Jesus' blood, and they weren't going to stop until they made it happen. They went so far that they let this murdering criminal named Barabbas out free, just so they could keep Jesus arrested. Peter had to be thinking to himself, after seeing all this happen, if he had been wrong about Jesus, and maybe had he even caused some of this. Then we get to chapter number 19. So Barabbas is out free, and Jesus had been whipped to a bloody mess. He was humiliated, and he had a crown of thorns placed on his head with a purple robe. And Pilate wants to let him go. He shows him to the Jewish people. He says, here is your king. And the crowd, they begin to chant this because the Jewish leaders say, no, they say, crucify him, crucify him. Crucify him. It chants louder and louder and louder. There's tension so big in this community that everyone can feel it. And Pilate wants to let Jesus go, but he can't now. Because the Jewish officials play the Caesar card. Listen to what they say in John 19, verses 12 through 17, I think it is, 19. It says this. It says, then Pilate tried to release him. But the Jewish leader shouted, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the seat, on the judgment seat, on the platform that is called the stone pavement. It was now about noon, the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king. 
Away with them, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. You see, this was a really big deal. This was huge. Pilate knew that the Jews, they despised the Romans. They hated the Romans being there, the Romans ruling over them. They hated them being there. But even more than that, they hated Jesus, the Jewish officials did. So for them to say they have no king except for Caesar meant that they were conforming to the Roman government. This was something that would have been very foreign for this Pilate to hear. So Pilate knew what he would do, or Pilate did what he would do to take care of himself. He gave up Jesus for crucifixion. Picking back up in verse 17, it says this. So they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place of the skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. In this moment, it had to be the absolute worst. Think about this just for a second. You just went from having dinner with Jesus. You went from having a good meal with Jesus. You went to the garden. You were praying with him. Then all of a sudden, he's arrested. Now all of a sudden, you've been through a trial. It's only been roughly 12 hours. Everything is changing. What is happening? How do we go through this? Now all of a sudden, we see that Pilate has allowed Jesus to be crucified. What do you do if you're a disciple? Everything has to be changing in your mind. Think about being the disciples and being at the cross, seeing your Savior, seeing your friend, seeing the person who you've done life with for three years hanging right there on the cross. We see that in the crowd, Jesus sees John, the disciple whom he loved, and his mother, and the other Mary, and he tells them to take care of her from their own. This was the guy who had followed Jesus for three years. This was the guy whom loved, who was loved by Jesus. The disciples, they had seen all the miracles. They had heard all the talks. But in this moment, their Messiah, their friend, was hanging on a tree, struggling for air, struggling to talk. He was dying in this moment. So doubts? Yeah. These guys had big doubts, right? These guys had huge doubts, especially when they heard this phrase from Jesus. It is finished. They had to have crazy doubts then, especially when they saw Jesus take his last breath. Especially when they saw the soldier grab a spear and pierce his side. And when he pulls it out, they see water and blood fall out of there. Talk about doubts. Yeah, these guys were full of doubts at this moment, right? Especially when they saw him take the body of Jesus down off the cross, wrap him up in linen, carry him away, put him in a tomb, and roll a huge stone in front of it. These guys had doubts. These guys had questions. These guys didn't know what to think. Remember, this is a 24-hour period that everything, their whole worlds have been flipped upside down. As I started thinking about this, as I started to really dig into this message, I started to realize that 
I think I might be wrong when I said it might be easier to be a follower of Jesus if I could have saw him alive. If I could have been there and I could have watched this all happen. Because think about this time frame from where Jesus is put in the tomb to where he's resurrected. We don't know what's happening. Over those three days, there had to be a struggle. You had to have some doubts. You had to have some questions. And we see that. And Drew's going to talk a lot about this next week. I mean, think about it. If I have doubts now and I know the whole story... Think about the doubts I would have had then. Even his closest followers and his friends had questions, fears, and doubts. But Jesus wasn't angry at these. He wasn't offended by these questions. Instead, what we're going to see next week is Jesus, Jesus patiently and lovingly helped his friends believe the good news that he was alive. And that because of his death and resurrection, nothing could separate them from God's love. Nothing ever could. And so as I've been reading through my here journals, and I've been thinking about Easter, and I've been thinking about just the season of everything this means, right? Like this is so important. If you're a Christian in this room, the, the Easter season is everything. And I mean, honestly, you guys right now in your life, you're, you're carrying all this stuff with you, right? You're trying to balance all this stuff. And then you're trying to decide also what it is to truly follow after Jesus. How can I balance all this stuff? How can I do this? And the truth is, is that the only way you're going to succeed at doing this is through the love of Jesus, through truly accepting it and truly giving it to him and saying, I trust you. I fully believe in you. Paul says this. I read this in my quiet time just the other day. He says this in Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. That's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It says this. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute and are in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Now listen to this part. I love this part. And I am not convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. In case you guys didn't catch that, nothing. Not your doubts, not your questions, not all the crazy things you have going on in your life can separate you from God's love for you. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is proof that God is with us and that he loves us. If Jesus can't be defeated by death, he absolutely won't be defeated by our doubts or our questions. It takes me to our main point today. The love of Jesus is bigger than any of our doubts. The love of Jesus, it, it, it covers everything. You see, doubt gets a pretty bad reputation sometimes. Sometimes we think about doubt being something that disqualifies us from being loved by God or even considered being a true Jesus followers. We might think that if I have doubts about Jesus, then I'm not good enough. 
If I have doubts about Jesus, then my faith isn't real. And if I have doubts about Jesus, then I'm going to be in big trouble if the people of my church find out. But doubt doesn't have to be bad. It doesn't have to be shameful. It was part of the conversation back when Jesus was on the cross when he went to the grave. And it's still part of the conversation right now. But here's the thing. Doubt can actually lead us to a deeper relationship with Jesus. And that's where we're going to pick up next week. So what I want to challenge you guys to do is this. Think about questions you have in your life. Think about maybe even doubts you have about the Easter story. What if you asked those? What if you weren't afraid to share those with your small group this Wednesday night? What if you truly said, hey, you know, like, I got questions, and I'm going to be honest with you. Your small group leaders might not have the answers, but they'll try. You can come ask me any question you want. I can't promise I have an answer, but I'll try. All right? The thing is, is that sometimes we let our doubts and our questions drive us away from God. Instead, they should be driving us to God. So what I want to do for the next 30 seconds is I want to invite you guys. Think about those doubts. Think about those questions you might have. And just pray to God about them right now. God, I, I don't know what to do with this. Send me someone to help with this. Something like that. So everybody bow your heads, close your eyes, and then we're going to get out of here in just a minute. But I want you to remember, the love of Jesus is bigger than your doubts. It's okay if you don't have all the answers. When we start pursuing Jesus, that's what changes us. So take a second, pray, and I'll close this out in prayers. God, your love is forever. It's all time. It's an all time love. And God, you, you chose to allow your son to step out of heaven, to die a bloody, messy death on a cross so that we can have a right relationship with you, so that our sin can be forgiven. And so today, God, we say thank you for that. Today, God, we acknowledge that, God, we have doubts, we have questions. There are times that we don't understand your story. We don't understand how life works, but God, we know that you have a plan. And so today, Father, I pray for this student in this room, for the leaders in this room who are just struggling. I just pray, God, you will just give them peace. I pray that, Lord, you will just point them to understand, Lord, maybe we don't always understand everything the right way, but Father, you do. God, it had to be hard for Jesus during those times. We see that in his prayer. So, Father, when life is hard for us, I just pray that, Lord, we will lean more into you to truly know who you are, that we can truly embrace your will for our lives. God, let us understand that this Christianity thing, this relationship with you is not something that is meant to be achieved just immediately today, but, God, it's something that's going to be achieved over our lifetime. It's something that will be forever, God. So, Father, let us choose to chase after you day after day, God, 
Give us that hunger for more of you. Give us just, Lord, just a thirst to know you better each and every single day. Let us wake up wanting to talk to you. Let us go to sleep wanting to think and know you more. Change us, Father. Lord, we thank you for what you did on that cross. We thank you that, Lord, you changed our eternities forever if we choose to accept you. So, Father, for anyone in this room who doesn't know you, I pray today will be the day they start asking questions that will start pointing them to a relationship with you. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for what you're doing. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Just like that, guys, you are dismissed. We'll see you Wednesday.